Father, we pray that you would um, enable us to to key in to, to what you might be saying to us. Father, we're sorry for, for, for our pride or our stubbornness or, or our un- unwillingness sometimes to, to stop or to listen. Father, we pray that we wouldn't miss out on what you have for us. Father, we also recognize that um, the challenges of life, uh, the heartbreaks, the, the mountains, the things that face us uh, often dominate our minds. And Father, we pray for your help and your comfort, for your grace. And Lord, we pray for those who particularly are going through uh, challenging times at the moment. Father, we lift, um, we lift them up to you now, just in, in the quietness of our hearts. Thanking you, Lord, that we, we can pray for one another. And Lord, now as we pray for Christy, as he comes to speak with us, we know your, your blessing and peace, your creativity and, and Lord, that, that what has been um, planned in the, in the quiet times this week would um, come to life in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm sure it's probably not one of the things that keeps you up at night wondering, but how much do you think you're worth? How much do you think you're worth? I'm not talking about how much money you've got in your bank account or your assets, you know, whether you've got property or uh, you've got um, cattle or you've got um, inheritance or whatever else. But how much do you think you, as a human being, are worth? Anybody can venture to have a guess? Yeah, that's a good answer. Priceless. That's a good answer, Sarah. I'm looking for something more monetary. You know, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Philosophically, what's that? How much is that? I'm looking for money. Fiverr? Who said that? Fiverr? Is that all? So hang, hang on a second. Let me pick up on this. Right. So if your beloved wife would receive an email saying, um, you need to pay a ransom for David. You know, she would just proceed to pull out a fiver, and you think that would be enough. Anybody else that wants to go a little bit higher than what David was saying? A tenor. Half a million. Have you got any educated guesses? (laughs) right well do you know we we had a question and it it was quite a serious question Uh, a couple of years ago as we were going through the pandemic and it's it's interesting as well how it's becoming topical again with the leaked uh, whatsapps uh, from the former health minister there was a question 
there was being asked a very good question. Is it worth, and we're not starting a political debate here, is it worth shutting down the economy in order to save lives? That was the question that was being asked. And then philosophically, some of the political scientists were even asking the question, well, how much is a life worth? Say, let's think about, you know, Barry, who is elderly. Is anybody here that's called Barry? No, we're on safe ground. Say, Barry is elderly in his, I don't know, I've got to be careful here now, uh, anything between, uh, you know, 90 and 98, you know, whose life could be in danger because of the virus, and we've got to close schools down, we've got to close, you know, some shops down, and people have jobs that they need to get an income. You know, is Barry's life worth shutting down schools and shutting down different avenues of providing work and income for people? Good, good political question, good economical question to ask. Well, interestingly enough, in the States, some people have proceeded to actually try to answer the question, how much is a human life worth in dollars? And the federal, some of the federal government agencies have come with a specific answer. And they reckon, and I don't really know, I didn't want to dig, you know, that there's enough rabbit holes in the week that you can dig down on. They don't want to dig any deeper than that. It probably would have been a bit too complex for my simple mind. But they came to the conclusion that the figure that it would attach to human life is $10 million. So you should be pretty, uh, pretty uh, impressed with yourself. Dave, you can boast about that. Say, I thought I was only worth a fiver. Christy just said, I'm worth $10 million. So actually, you know, in, in, in theory, even monetary-wise, according to the American government, a human life is worth $10 million. But here comes the question. If you and I should, unlikely to happen, but should get kidnapped, how much would somebody be willing to pay for you? Say, for example, you take off on a holiday. You go to somewhere, let's say, nobody's ever going to go there now, Egypt. <laughs> you know, you're going to Egypt, Sharm el-Sheikh. You go on a tour to see the pyramids. Somebody takes hostage a bus, and you're on the bus. And they're demanding a ransom for your life. And they say, we want that amount of money for your life. First of all, how much do you think people are going to be willing to pay for you, your loved ones? Because I don't think we can count on the government paying anything. And secondly, how much would they ask? It's a good question. But this morning I want to talk to you about the greatest ransom that anybody has ever paid already for me and you. And that is Jesus dying on the cross. And there's a phenomenal verse in which Jesus brings this wonderful self-description of why he came on earth. Very often people get a little bit uh, muddled up when it comes to the reason why Jesus came on, on, on earth. And depending on what people's interests are, people would often attach it to a political meaning or a social meaning. And, you know, he was a great liberator. He was the one that was going to overthrow the Romans. He came to be a good moral example. But people missed the point. The real point, and we can only actually find out for sure, is by hearing what he himself says about himself. And Jesus said these words in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life 
as a ransom for many. The truth that Jesus is trying to say to us is actually every single one of us in this world is born in sin. And we are hostages to sin. You have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and actually find out the amazing way in which we begin to make sense of the world we live in. Going all the way back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve are being tempted by the serpent. And from that moment on, something dramatic happens. Sin enters into the world. And if you want a modern day illustration, the whole creation is virused by sin. Some of you have been in the unhappy situation where you have been hacked or your computer has been hacked. I vividly remember Andy, Andy Wolf, having this terrible thing where basically, you know, you get an email from somebody that you know with an attachment that looks very legitimate and you click on it and you open it and it's a document and then suddenly somebody takes hold of your computer. And you cannot do anything. You press the right keys, but they just don't answer. And then you get another email saying, hey, I am, uh, you know, Yuri from Russia who got hold of your computer. And I want you to pay me 5,000 pounds in order to unlock your computer. And obviously, if you're a pastor, you've got your sermons there. Really important stuff, valuable stuff. If you're a normal human being, you've got personal information, bank details, all sorts of sensitive information. And... You can't do anything about it. You can tap, you can close it down, you can unplug it, you, can do, you can't do anything about it. And very often people are, even institutions are being held to ransom. The NHS very often gets hacked, you know, local government sites get hacked and people are asking for a ransom on it. When Satan tempted through Adam and Eve through the serpent, it was as if our universe was hacked. And we became hostages to sin. And from there on, everything just unraveled in a bad way. And sin just grew and grew and grew to the extent that after Adam and Eve, their offspring, Cain and Abel, two brothers, one of them ends up killing the other one because of jealousy and anger. Mind-blowing. You wouldn't think that that would happen. And we become hostages to sin. And in one sense, question, the question is that sometimes people ask, they say, you know, well, you know, I'm Christy. I was born in 1973. Do the maths. Uh, I was born in 1973. What have I got to do with Adam and Eve? Why is it my fault that Adam and Eve had fallen for the serpent's temptation? Why is it my fault that I actually end up being born in this world and being born virused with sin? Yet the truth is, every single one of us is being born in this world. And because this world is sinful, human nature, spiritually speaking, is in sin. And to some degree, until a certain age, you know, it's, it's not very clear. I don't learn to make a distinction between good and evil and make the wrong kind of choice. But it doesn't take long. I don't know at what age that begins to happen. But I keep saying to you, I watch my friends who are parents, and I can see the evidence of original sin in the life of the children, the little one, the really cute and lovely little ones, where the parent says, do not touch that. 
and they defiantly, this is probably two and a half years old, they look you in the eye, and the very thing that you said to them they shouldn't do, that's what they go for. You know, they don't look like monsters, do they? They're cute. But within their heart, it's beginning to show the evidence. And as we go on in life, this virus also, it's, we're not just a victim. We begin to make choices that along the way are showing that we follow sinful patterns. People just make the wrong choices. So we're not just a victim, but we're also participants. And we are really trapped in. And sin becomes our master. We're taken hostage by sin. And it affects our entire life. It affects the way we look after ourselves. So some of you, some of us, have dealt with addiction, terrible addiction in our lives. And you purposefully and intentionally, yes, foolishly, but you don't know it at the time, just do harm to your body. So you damage yourself. And then because of sin, sometimes we don't just damage ourselves, but we damage other people by making those wrong choices, doing the wrong thing. And ultimately, it's a broken relationship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned, something was broken in the intimacy and the relationship with God. So at every level, we're in a pitiable state. Because we are, and the Bible calls it, slaves to sin. We are prisoners. And we are messing ourselves up. We're messing other people up. And certainly our relationship with God isn't great. In fact, before Jesus comes and says those words, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, what does that mean, you want to ask? What does it mean, Jesus, that you have come to serve? And he spells it out and he says, I am coming to give my life as a ransom for many. Before that happens, our status was, as human beings, enemies of God. And yet Jesus comes in this rescue mission that is so important because we couldn't rescue ourselves. You might have heard the anecdotal story of the way some African hunters in the past were trying to catch monkeys. And very often they would put an orange inside a coconut. And the monkey would put its hand into the coconut to try to grab the exciting orange. But because the orifice was quite small, with the orange in the hand, they couldn't pull it back out. And yet they were so stubborn to let go of the precious prize of the orange that was so exciting that they were giving enough time for the hunter to come and catch them. That's us as human beings. We just can't help ourselves and we can't save ourselves. We need a superhero, to somebody to come to our rescue, somebody to come and pay that ransom. Just in the same way, if you're in that bus in Sharm El Sheikh and you get caught and somebody's saying, we want 50 grand for you, you're going to need somebody from outside, somebody from home, a friend, a relative, whoever, to actually send that money in order to get you out. You can't do anything about it. You can't help yourself. You need somebody to come to the rescue. Or even better, maybe if you've watched enough movies, you need to have a special team that comes and rescues you and sets you free without paying that ransom money. We're born in sin, 
and we are trapped. And yet Jesus says, and, when, and he calls himself the son of man. He himself comes and is born into this world with that very specific purpose. I love the way John, John Piper puts it. He says, let it sink in that this act of giving his life as a ransom was very intentional for Jesus. Sometimes people look at the cross and look with a sense of pity and think, oh, poor Jesus. They caught him. It was because of Judas. It was because of those high priests that hated him. It was because of the Romans that were too cowardly. Yet it was intentional. When Jesus was born, he was born to die. And to die as a ransom for many. Piper says it was what, that was why Jesus came to do. Christ did not come to earth for other reasons and then get caught up in a plot that resulted in his death. He came to die. And Jesus himself says that before he dies, before he goes to the cross. He explains to the people, they don't get it, but he explains to the people, this is why I'm here. I'm here to set you free. That, that, that feeling of being trapped in sin, I'm coming to deal with it. I'm coming to bring a solution to it. I am your great rescuer as I'm willing to pay the ransom for you. And Jesus explains it really clearly. And he says, I am coming to give my life. The cross makes sense only when you understand that this was Jesus' intentional, sacrificial act of ransoming us. There was no money, no gold, no crypto coins, no hedge fund shares that could pay for our ransom. It was only one thing. The son of man's sacrificial death on the cross he said, I'm taking the payment for this. I'm paying the bill. I'm settling it. The debt is paid. And he does it, Jesus' own words, by giving his life as a ransom for many. He pays the price for our freedom. He says, a ransom for many. You might say, how many? Well, the clue is in that very well-known verse in John 3.16, where John writes that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Who is included in that giving my life as a ransom for many. John is giving the answer. Whosoever. It's not a set number. It's not an elite group. It's not the chosen ones, but it actually is all those who will respond to the invitation to follow Jesus as he gives his life as a ransom for many. This is incredible good news. For a people that were trapped. And in many ways it's a reminder of the great work of God. Of what God has done for us. The New Testament captures this truth. Just several verses I want to bring to you. Uh, Romans 6, 8. Paul is saying while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He made the first move. He didn't wait for us to become good people. In order to ransom us and save us. 
He already did it for people who didn't deserve it. The Apostle Peter talks about Jesus and his death on the cross. And he says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Some people struggle with that imagery. And I understand that. It, it, it's difficult. And that's the truth, though, what the New Testament proclaims. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to be a good example. He didn't just die to show us how to give your life for people that you love. No, he died, Peter is saying, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. It was the very act of love demonstrated in order to bring forgiveness for sins. Not just to show empathy or sympathy. Again, in Romans 5, Paul is saying, we have been justified by his blood. Peter, in 1 Peter 3, says, Christ died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust. Different angles of the same truth that is so important to be grasped in order to understand God's great love and his amazing grace. He did it once and for all, never to be repeated again. Praise God. In the Old Testament, the people of God, in order to be reconciled and deal with the problem of sin in their life, they had to go through repeated sacrifices. But through Jesus coming into the world, the sacrifice happens once and for all at the cross. And that sacrifice is the one who is just, Jesus himself, for the ones that are unjust, me and you, and all those who are in sin. And yet the good news is that Jesus came to our rescue. The moment he begins his ministry and he stands up in the synagogue, he opens the scroll and he must have, (laughs) what an amazing thing because he opens the scroll and in one sense he's doing a reading which would have been a normal thing to be done but in another ways he's presenting his manifesto. We're beginning to hear talks about political parties' manifestos in which they're telling us what they can do for us. And fortunately for those of us who've got gray hairs or graying hairs, we're very cynical because we've heard it many times before. Yet Jesus opens up the scroll and brings truth, reliable, trustworthy truth. And he cites an Old Testament passage, but actually describes his own mission. And he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And here it is, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's the ransom for many that Jesus came to pay in order to set us free. This morning, I think we're likely to be in one or two categories. The cross brings to the forefront the greatest ransom that's been ever paid. And it's not just paid for one person, so it's not just the amount, but it's paid for the entire humanity. Mind-blowing. But it's not generic, and it's not theoretical. It's very personal. It's about me and you. And every single one of us will find ourselves in in, in one or two statuses or one or two categories this morning. Either we're a prisoner this morning or we're amongst the ransomed. There's no in-between. 
And that's why as we come before the Lord's table, a, a place where we as God's people look back at Jesus' death, examine our lives, bring our thanksgiving, and look forward with expectant hope to the future spent with him. It's a good time to ask ourselves the question, what category am I part of this morning? Are you free? Or are you still a prisoner? Because there's only two options. And my encouragement, if you are in the category of saying, you, you know, I'm, if I'm really honest this morning, I, I couldn't say that I am free. I would encourage you to take hold of Jesus' gift of salvation because he offers this to you. He offers it to me and he offers it to you this morning. And he says, I want you to be free too. I want you to accept my death on the cross as the payment for your sin. And that's the key that unlocks the chains of sin and the dominion of Satan that holds you. And they can be broken. And the cell and its door gets opened right wide. And you can walk out as a free person. And this is the invitation that I want to give to you this morning to take that step. If you haven't already done it, take it. It's the freedom that Jesus purchased for you and me. And it can absolutely, totally, radically change your life. But if you've already done it, I want to say to you this morning, treasure that. Treasure that. Don't ever lose that sense of, wow, I can't believe it. can't believe what Jesus has done for me. We ought to be thankful every day of our life. We ought to celebrate that salvation. We were undeserving people. Why we were still sinners? Christ died for us. In the moments we have that sense of self-doubt, whether anybody loves you and whether you're lovable, hear God's declaration of love, amazing love, unchanging love, eternal love, as you look at the cross and you see Jesus' death. It's that moment when we don't grow complacent and let it become, meh, it's all right. And when we sing and are together and sing about Jesus' death, we don't just half sing it or a quarter sing it, but we bellow it out because it's worthy. Because Jesus paid my ransom and set me free. There's a lot of talk about revival and renewal and awakenings and all sorts of things. And I remember the story of the Welsh revival when the hardened miners were coming out of the pit at the times when things were beginning to move spiritually amongst them. And there's that well-known song that was birthed in the Welsh revival. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. And as the men were singing it, tears, hardened miners, hardened miners, not soft men. Tears were strolling down their cheeks, faces blackened by the dust of the coal. You can just see the traces of the tears that were rolling down. They had to sing it and feel it because it was real and treasured in their lives. 
How can we not share that good news with others if it's that good? The words of a song captures it right. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. This morning as we come afresh before him at his table, let it impact our hearts. If you've never been set free, make, make it this morning. You pray that prayer and say, it's as simple as that. Just simply saying, Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinful person. I can see my chains. I know that I'm imprisoned. I want to experience your salvation. I thank you for the way you've given your life for me in order to set me free. And I want that. I want that gift. And if you've already received it, live it as if it's true. Live it out, and if it's truly good, let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful for the great reminder this morning through your very own words of this good news. We live in a world of a lot of bad news, discouraging news. Depressing news, overwhelmingly so. Yet this morning, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that what we have heard from Jesus' declaration is good news. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that includes me. That includes every single one of us. What wonderful news. Holy Spirit, let it sink deep into our souls. Let it capture our minds afresh. Let it stir up our emotions with this great truth that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, came to give his life as a ransom for many. Me too. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.